Welcome to Balanced Black Girl, a podcast dedicated to mental, physical, and emotional health from the Black woman's perspective. Tune in to hear from Black woman health and wellness experts giving the approachable advice you need to help you feel your best. I'm your host, Lestrandra Alfred. Let's dive in. Thank you for tuning into Balanced Black Girl Podcast. If you're listening to this when it comes out and it is February 2021, we are currently on hiatus from recording and releasing new episodes. So we're actually sharing some rewind episodes of some of our favorite and really timely conversations from the podcast. So today, in honor of Black History Month, we are re-releasing our conversation with historian and podcast host Toya Coleman from the That Wasn't In My Textbook podcast. Last year, in early 2020, when life was pretty different, Toya and I sat down and had just such a fun conversation about Black history, lesser-known Black history stories, and how the choices and ways that we take care of ourselves today are what create Black history tomorrow. So enjoy this episode. So I'm so excited to have you on the show because it is currently Black History Month. Yes, happy Black History Month. Happy Black History Month. We love us some Black History Month here at Balanced Black Girl. I know, and I think it's 29 days this year. Yes, leap so, year. Exactly. We, get, we get an extra day. Of blackness. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, and I'm so here for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so for our listeners who are just now meeting you, can you tell us a little bit more about you, who you are, where you're from, what you do? Okay, I'm Toya, known as Toya from Harlem. I tell people that I'm the Anthony Bourdain of history. So I try to talk about history in fun ways. I try to talk about a lot of history that you do not find in your textbook. So like the history of the Black Panther headquarters that was located in Harlem, that's now a bodega. So I highlight a lot of places that you may pass by historically, like every day, but are history pieces and you might not realize that. Mm. And so that's kind of the main thing that I do. But I also do like arts and culture, places to go, and particularly for people of color, yeah. you know, safe spaces, cool art exhibits. So like a black timeout, you know. And then I also focus on, I've recently started sharing my lock journey because that's also very much you know, cultural black history. So it all bleeds in together. So good. So good. I love that. And you're now here in LA. Yes. I moved to LA a little over a year ago. So January 7th was my one year anniversary. So this Harlem night moved to LA (laughs) and it's been really exciting to even understand the history, the black history here and how Blacks came to LA and other cities outside of just, you know, the East Coast. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Can we, can we maybe start with that? Start learning more about that. <laughs> um, I'm still learning. Yeah. But during the Great Migration, there was also, I mean, I think a lot of people focus on the East Coast cities. So yeah. Chicago, Detroit, Philly, New York, Harlem. But there were also people who came to California. So mm-hmm. that's kind of how that happened. There were also different black communities here as well. There was a great exhibit a while ago at the California African American Museum Mm -hmm. that talked about the migration and also about the history of gospel here in LA. So that's where I learned a lot of kind of like the fundamentals and I'm still learning. So it's been really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So fun though, to get to discover a new place and also unlock the history of your new home. Exactly. Yeah. So what sparked your interest in history? I feel like I've always been interested in history. 
being born and raised in Harlem, I went to a lot of like Afrocentric schools, yeah. like in the 90s. So I went to like this Montessori school that was taught by a black woman who started her own school because she didn't like that her kids were going to school and only learning about their history during February. Mm-hmm. And so that really sparked it because I remember in elementary school, I had to learn like all the countries in Africa. We started our day singing Lift Every Voice and Sing. Like, That's amazing. You know, like people are like, what? And then like my middle school was very much like that. These two brothers, their parents passed away and they originally started a rehab clinic in Harlem because it was like during the crack era, their parents started a rehab clinic, but they went off to school. And when their parents passed away, they changed it into a school and it was mostly catered towards you know the black and latino kids in that community and really cultivating them and teaching them their own history as well as just like education like a quality education so i think that's really started and then i went on to like go to college and i studied african-american studies and then i think what really sparked toya from harlem my platform was i went to grad school and a part of that as National Urban Fellows, which is an accelerated master program. It's crazy. You do your master's in like 14 months. Oh my gosh. And part of it is that you also work and you can work anywhere. So I got like a job in Miami and I lived in Miami for like eight months. And I remember coming home and I just felt like my neighborhood had changed so much. And it was only eight months and there was just so much new construction and new things happening, which is good, of course. But I also felt like there were a lot of places being erased in the name of gentrification, historical places that I like was like, why are we not preserving it? Or like, what's the process? But it was like already too late. So I would, I created a digital platform where I was trying to capture that history, you know, because I felt like that was how I could like my contribution to it that I could actually do that was feasible was just go around, take photos, tell people about the history in really layman's terms. I curse. I tell you like really cool things that happened there that you might not know. And that's how it really like started. And then it kind of expanded into everything that it is now. Yeah. <laughs> that's beautiful though. Like honoring those landmarks through your content. Yeah. To, to be our historian homie. I know. <laughs> yes. The historian homie. <laughs> so good. So do you have a favorite historical time period? I feel like this is like... It's like asking someone to pick their favorite child for a no, historian. No, I mean, I have one, but I feel like it's going to be like, really? Which is the Harlem Renaissance. <laughs> that's not like, really? Yeah. So that's my favorite time period because, I mean, I'm from Harlem. Yeah. A lot of, you know, the Great Migration was a contribution to that. And my grandfather, like my history of like how my grandfather came from Virginia to Harlem. I have like a deep connection to that. And I just feel like it was a very pivotal time period for black folk because it was like the first time that we were building our own communities and showing our intellectual art and music contributions, you know, that we've been doing this whole entire time. Yeah. But it was just kind of like a period that really highlighted that. And then you just, sometimes I wish I could go back to that period. Like, you know, like to think about like Langston Hughes mm-hmm. and Malcolm X and all those people just like hanging out and walking down the street, talking to each other. But I think to me, that was one of the most significant times in history. And so that's my favorite. Yeah. And then also just like the fashion, you know, and like just everything, the music is just like, it seems like a very, obviously it was very important, but it just also just seemed like a very dope and fun, like time to, and place to live and a safe place to live Mm -hmm. because everybody was kind of like governing themselves and teaching themselves. And so it's like, that was probably a really cool time. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm nowhere near a historian, but 
I feel like that time period, especially from an artistic standpoint, gave us so much that we still enjoy today and made so much of what we know from pop culture, music, art nowadays mm-hmm. is still so heavily influenced by that. I know. Like, you know, Zori No Hurston, like all those people who really laid the foundation for black literature mm-hmm. and black music, you know, Duke Ellington, like that is... A lot of that starts at that point. I mean, you know, in terms of what we do now, even though it expands all the way back to Africa, if we really think about it, but just fresh on our minds, I think that's one of like the instant record points. Absolutely. And I think that that was a real turning point in a lot of ways to black Americans really shaping what popular culture is. We know today that black people make pop culture exactly we are pop culture exactly yeah so i definitely i agree it was definitely like the beginning of understanding that black people are the culture you know what i mean and like everything that we do and everything that we wear and everything that we say Mm -hmm. is lit and Mm -hmm. you're gonna want to emulate it (laughs) exactly exactly for sure (laughs) so for those of us who did not have like the amazing schooling experience that you had because as you're describing that i'm very very jealous i did not have that i had a very uh kind of traditional february in public school we learned the same maybe five stories so for those of us who maybe had background in schooling more like me who want to learn more about black history beyond what we learned every February in public school, where do you recommend we begin? Okay. So I think the great thing about technology now is that there's so many places where you can begin. I think of three places instantly, which are two of them are Instagram pages. Even better. Even we better. Love right? the gram. It's called Black Archives and they spell it B L V C K V R C. H-I-V-E-S. And it's curated by this woman named Retina. I believe I'm saying her name right. And it's like a visual journey of history. And what I really love about it is that people can submit photos. So you can submit, I don't know if you ever have, for some of us, we have the honor of still having our grandparents, maybe our great-grandparents. And so you go to their house and you see like their old school wedding pictures Mm -hmm. or like the family gathering and they have like their hair pressed and you know and so you can submit those photos and then people usually tell you a story about it and so that's what that is and then she also will pull pictures as well so I really love like that Instagram account I think it's a really good point of history I think there's a lot of people similar to myself that are trying to find different ways to present history to make it fun to make it engaging and also to talk about history outside of what's popular which is like you know the five people like the Malcolm X's Mm -hmm. the Martin Luther King's but also outside of slavery too Mm -hmm. you know slavery is definitely a pivotal point in history but it's not all of our history there was a time period before that and there is a time after that and so I think that they're that's one account that I feel like really celebrates that. The another one that I like, they're actually a vintage shop, but they do also similar history and then they post stuff that are in their shop. They find like black archive stuff and they'll tell you about it, which is black vintage and they spell black B-L-K and then vintage the regular way. And I love, they're two women. Um, they're a couple, they're great. I've met them a couple of times, but they find artifacts from like old colleges. They have been hired by people like Issa Rae to do insecure wardrobe, like for antique t-shirts, like from Howard, from the 70s, the 60s. They found like the old cab from the black, the Oz, like, you know, Wizard of Oz, the black version. So they just find like these crazy, beautiful, unique artifacts. And then they 
post beautiful pictures of them. They find old books and they post photos. They sell them, but they also just tell you the history. So those are my two favorite gram history accounts. Love it. And then my other one that I like on my nerd stuff (laughs) is it's called Crash Course on YouTube and they just spell it the same way with no spaces and it's actually like a white guy who's a host but he's great and they just do these like little 10 to 12 minute segments that talk about history like just make you they condense it and they'll do like the Haitian revolution or something like that and they just tell you like all the cool stuff you want to know and then what makes it really engaging is that they have like these cool animations that like reenact stuff and they also do it in a very layman's terms sarcasm so those are like my three nerd life (laughs) account recommendations so good yeah no those are amazing I do follow the black archives account and it's one of my favorites yeah so good it's so good I'm like trying to figure out what I want to submit yeah It's such a good recommendation. Yeah. And it's, I think it's good because it's, I mean, we all know with the internet, you know, we have Dr. Google that can kind of teach us anything, but it's like having our history kind of brought to us where we are Mm -hmm. in a way that we're kind of used to consuming and connecting with one another is really special. Yeah. And we scroll so much every day. So it's like, there's ways that we can do that and see something that's uplifting or educational or, you know, so just, you know, challenge yourself to expand your your feed. Yeah, absolutely. And it makes learning about history a little bit more engaging, a little bit more fun. Mm -hmm. And it's quick. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to take up your whole day. I feel like it's hard after being in school for so many years Mm -hmm. to want to continue to educate yourself in the same traditional boring ways. Yeah. So you have to find like new ways to do that. And I think Instagram, yeah, and YouTube, most two popular platforms definitely have stuff for you there. Absolutely. No, I love that recommendation. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Balanced Black Girl is all about elevating Black women's stories and lifestyle wellness. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would love to hear if you know of any Black women's stories that aren't often told. Wow, that's... Just one. I mean, that's a very broad question. I (laughs) I realized. where do I begin? (laughs) Well, I recently just read this article. It was like the women, the New York book review. Uh They did this, like the heroines of American Black Press, and they list... I think it's about six or seven black women journalists from the 19th century. Because I think a lot of times we all think about like Ida B. Wells, but there's like so many other women that have kind of impacted journalism and talked about like race and women's suffrage and stuff like that, which apparently that's like the Women's History Month theme is like voting rights. So I learned a lot through that article. They talked about one woman. She was like born in Chicago. Her name was Lillian Fox. Yeah, Lillian Parker Thomas Fox. And she was like the first black woman to write for this black publication. I think it was the Indiana, Indiana Freeman. So that was a black newspaper. She was the first black woman to write for them. And then she later on went on to be the first black woman to be hired for a white publication, which was just the Indianapolis News. And she had to write anonymously under that, but she had like a regular column. She talked about, you know, kind of like race and women's rights and stuff like that. So I feel like that article, I'm, I can't, I think it's the heroine of women journalist that is a good place to start but i remember reading that recently and they have these really cool graphics of what the women look like and they had some really cool untold stories of women journalists who were really like putting pen to paper to make changes and i think that a lot of times in history especially when we talk about like our textbooks they focus on a couple of people yeah 
all the time, but there's so many others, you know? I mean, I think that's what I find interesting about learning history. There's always something new to learn and to uncover. Mm -hmm. So I would say Lillian probably Fox is the most recent woman, untold story of a woman that I recently learned about. Mm, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. Mm-hmm. And we'll definitely have the the link to the article for uh, the heroines of American Black Press because yeah. that sounds like an incredible resource. Yeah, it was really good. And she also actually, there's an Instagram that goes yeah. with that too. I think oh, they're called Race Women with an underscore. Yeah, Race underscore Women, and she continues to like highlight different women and write profiles underneath them. So that's another that's another resource for learning history. Yes. See, <laughs> you know what? We're just gonna get all of our Instagram feeds together. We're gonna. <laughs> <laughs> unfollow all of the people that we know we don't need to be all following. the shade rooms all the shade rooms all the flat tummy tea we're gonna unfollow all of that mm-hmm. we're gonna get on these archives yeah we're gonna learn about our history exactly <laughs> i support it getting it together mm-hmm. let's pretend we're like 50 or 100 years in the future do i look good <laughs> you look great okay. <laughs> by some miracle the planet has survived that long how do you think our generation will be portrayed in black history? Hmm. You're coming with the question. (laughs) (laughs) I think that our generation will be, I'm trying to think about, okay, like how our parents, like our parents and our grandparents were very much like respectability politics, right? Like you got to be twice as good. You got to wear your bow tie. You got to straighten your hair. Side part under. Exactly. (laughs) And then, you know, we got into some militant stuff with the Black Panthers, self-governance. And I think this is where we come in. I think we're like, like the unapologetic generation where like we have like our Kaepernick's. And then we have like twerking, you know, and then <laughs> and we can do both and we can do both. And then you have like the natural hair movement and then you have like the Popeye chicken sandwich, you know, battle, <laughs> you know, which is very much something that black Twitter started. So, Absolutely. you know, so it's like, I think we're more like the unapologetic generation where we're not really going to assimilate or change ourselves, you know, to be accepted or to feel or to explain that we need to be treated and seen as equal we're like this is who we are and you need to kind of like get on board i think a lot of time i think historically we've bent a lot of ways backwards to kind of appease Mm -hmm. you know and that hasn't worked Mm -hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that we tried different things and so now this is where we are and i think about like you know the Issa rays and the insecure like even just like the movies and the films and stuff that people are going to see that came out of the generation really challenge and i think speak to being unapologetic yeah so i'm really interested to see i don't know if i'm right but i think that will definitely be a part of the narrative i love that yeah yeah and i just love hearing your perspective on that and i think what i appreciate so much about what you just shared in that answer was really about how multifaceted we are mm-hmm. you know Mm-hmm. We can kneel with cap and we can also twerk and enjoy our sandwich and be well read and exactly. be super educated. <laughs> exactly. And mm-hmm. we can do it all. Yeah. And I think another thing that will be unique to our generation historically will be kind of like these digital movements. Yeah. You know, you think about Black Lives Matter, Oscar is so white. That will definitely be hopefully, you know, sections in the black history part of our textbook where they talk about how, you know, these hashtags change into movements, change into protests Mm -hmm. and created change as well. Because I think that's very unique to us, like growing up with social media, being a part of social media, we have used it to laugh and we've used it to make change. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in a lot of ways to, to heal, I mean, I Mm -hmm. think what I'm most helpful for or hopeful for, for our generation. So I feel like we're really breaking 
breaking a lot of generational curses. I agree. So I'm excited to see in the future as, as we have children and their children, what shapes and shifts for them. Yeah. Like how far are we going to go? You yeah. know? And I think, I mean, it's only going up from here. We have a long way to go mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, just dealing with racism and yeah. all those systems. But I think that we are really utilizing the resources that we have to communicate with the world, yeah. you know? So I think that's the difference. Like at the tip of your fingers, you can say what you want to say yeah. and like call out someone for using the N-word on the news. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you didn't really have that power before. So it's kind of like, I feel like the effect of something, the domino effect or the reach is so fast and wide expanding now that we have like, the internet. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually just talking to my friend last night, having a a pretty similar conversation, at least related to this question. And we were talking about how now that we're older, we're women in our thirties, we have so much more kind of empathy for our parents. When we were younger, we didn't fully understand like, Oh, why are they so uptight about this? Or why don't they understand that? Understanding that for our parents and the generations before them, so much was all about survival Mm -hmm. to an extent. We still have that as well. There are still so many systems working against us as we know. But I think we're also creating spaces where everything we do isn't out of survival. We're starting to take back a little bit and do some things yeah, for us. Exactly, exactly. And that's what I think, you know, it's kind of like appreciating and understanding that I think, you know, the movement towards equality has been really trial and error. So while I don't of respectability politics, mm-hmm. I understand why they tried it yeah. and it didn't work. And yeah. so that's why we are where we are now. Yeah. So it's like, I appreciate it, but... Nah, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, we're doing something different. Exactly. You know, like, it's like, oh, you can wear your hair like that? Absolutely. I'm going to wear this fro and these locks and, you know. Yeah, and it's going to be great. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mm-hmm. love that. Yeah. I'm also curious, kind of along the same lines, you know, you talked about your experiences when you left for eight months for mm-hmm. graduate school, going back to Harlem, finding your neighborhood starting to be gentrified and something you didn't even, you know, recognize in such a short amount of time, I think, for so many of us, we're seeing that in our hometowns, in our communities, in our neighborhoods. Gentrification is just something that is impacting all of us. How do you think kind of the current rate of gentrification will impact Black history in the future? That's a good question. I think, I mean, right now it's happening fairly quickly, like you so acknowledge. Yeah. I think I read somewhere that like 20,000 people left DC between 2000 and 2013, which is like enough people to fill a football stadium or no, a soccer stadium. And that just speaks to the displacement that's happening with gentrification. And I think gentrification is often presented as a cycle, right? So you're like chilling in your neighborhood and then you like see a Starbucks and then you're like, oh my God, what's happening? See some running groups, you know, late at night and you're like, what's happening? And then all of a sudden your rent goes up and you don't, you know, depending on where you are financially, you have to decide if you're going to stay or you're going to go. Yeah. Understanding that I would like to think that it's a cycle in terms of that, like right now people are going into cities and, you know, they're going into neighborhoods. They think it's affordable, like, you know, displacing people, but then maybe there'll be another white flight back into the suburbs Mm -hmm. and the cycle will happen all over again. But I mean, I think gentrification is so heavily loaded and there's a lot of conversations around, like, obviously, no matter who's in the neighborhood, you want the best things yeah. in your neighborhood. You want changes in your neighborhood. But I think it's the displacement when, like, rent goes up yeah. and the grocery store price points go up to a point where the people who were originally there can't afford it to the point where they have to leave. I think that's where gentrification is a problem. Yeah. And I 
think the future is that we're going to see, I think kind of like similar to what's happening to Harlem, right? Like it was a black hub and it was like a cultural hub and everyone thought it was cool. And now it's kind of whitewashed. And I feel like that's, I mean, that's happening almost like worldwide. Like it's happening in London. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so I, I think that it's going to continue to happen. And unfortunately, I think as a result of that, a lot of history will be erased, which is kind of what I was trying to counteract with Mm -hmm. Toya from Harlem. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I feel like as people of color, you know, we are also so resilient and, you know, just resourceful that I could also see as people get displaced, they're forming new communities, you know, new communities, new kind of like segregated communities, which are, can be good if you're cultivating, if you're teaching history of yourself and stuff like that. So I could see that maybe potentially they'll just be like newer, more modern people of color, like Mm -hmm. communities. Mm -hmm. And then maybe that will get whitewashed and Mm -hmm. it's like a cycle. I don't know, but that's what I imagine. Yeah. That's what I imagine. Yeah, definitely. No, I really appreciate that perspective. I think it's interesting because I mean, we'll see, I think kind of the way it's happening now and how fast and just our current time period. Yeah. I don't think we've experienced a version of it quite like this. Yeah. I don't think historically, you know, I mean, there's nothing really to compare it to because yeah. um, it was like slavery before then the great migration was just kind of like the south is fall- failing the yeah. Ku Klux Klan is lynching people like we need to leave it yeah. wasn't a matter of wanting to necessarily you know it was like survival yeah. and economics that kind of drove people away but it wasn't displacement mm-hmm. you know so yeah I think you're right I don't think we've ever seen it yeah. before so it's gonna be really interesting TBD yeah I wonder how the homeless population will also change because yeah. just in general outside of even just gentrification like rent is just going up so much cost of living yeah Yeah. so that's also displacing people on top of gentrification Mm -hmm. and causing people to like move to the streets yeah so yeah yeah i hope there's hope i hope so too i hope so too let's also just talk a little bit more about toya from harlem you know we talked a bit about what inspired your platform have there been any things or places that you have discovered or stories that you've uncovered that have just been like your favorite? Oh, wow. Uh, there's so many. <laughs> I think one of my favorite was recently I did, um, well, like last year, I did a kind of profile piece on the peacock chair. So I don't know if you've seen, they've kind of come back with oh, um, yeah. Netflix, like the black leads. They usually have the person sitting oh. in this like, you know. I mean, and also pictures of my parents exactly kicking it in the 80s exactly oh yeah so that's really what sparked it i saw so i went to like an installation at the brooklyn museum in new york and actually black vintage they do like they'll do like an installation like you know a cute little instagram black Mm -hmm. drop but they make it like hella black they'll have like press combs and they'll have the peacock feather chairs and like old ebony magazines and stuff so i took a picture and then i remember showing it to my grandma and she's like oh i have a picture in that chair and she like showed me my grandma's 81 she shows me her picture and i'm like what and then (laughs) then i started looking it up and i see like Diana Ross, mm-hmm. you know, even Outcast, one of their album covers, they're in the chair, mm-hmm. you know. So I'm like, what is the significance of this chair? So I did research. I learned that the chair actually start like the early ties of the chair start in ancient Egypt, mm-hmm. and you know, like kings and queens used to use it, and then it evolved into furniture because it was like breathable, and then it became like you know colonizers came and they made it victorian and it was like a little bit more grand and then it kind of like died and then like hollywood brought it back yeah but it was just kind of like an ancient egyptian like kind of throne and furniture that now is like you know the central piece of history because even the black panther party there's like this famous picture of 
why can't I think of his name right now? He's like sitting in the chair and he has like a steak and something else in his other hand. And it's like a really famous Black Panther photo. And so that also kind of made the connection when I um, saw my grandmother's photo. And I was like, oh, this chair is really significant in the black community and we don't even know that it started in a black in an ancient black community and just learning about the different materials that they use to weave it together some people believe that the initial shape was like created in a prison like in the philippines but it's just like this chair that i think every person like even you're like oh my parents like i feel like every black person has a picture of somebody in this peacock feather chair it's like now a baby shower chair Mm -hmm. and so i think for me that was like very that was one of the most recently exciting ones and then another one that I did was with another picture I found with my grandparents they were like at Atlantic City and they're like posing and everything and I'm like what are my grandparents doing I'm like yeah. and they're like my grandma's like we went there for our honeymoon I'm like you went to Atlantic City for your honeymoon <laughs> and apparently it was like a black it was like a really thriving black community like yeah. Atlantic City and a lot of people went there for their honeymoon there yeah. was like Chicken Bone Beach which was like a black only beach because blacks couldn't go to the white beaches yeah. And so it was like this hub of like culture and like music and all this stuff. And I like ended up finding like really old photos historically and then also with my family and my Mm -hmm. grandparents. And just to make that connection, it was just really nice. I was like, oh, okay. So I feel like I like the things that, you know, you can connect with that Mm -hmm. you see every day in your family. So those were the two that I think I enjoyed most Mm -hmm. recently. Those are beautiful examples. And I mean, I especially love what you said about things that you may see every day, little pieces of your own history that you can learn the, the significance and the backstory behind. And I think usually the common theme in so many of these things is black people either not being allowed to go somewhere or not having something of their own and taking what they do have and making something beautiful out of it. Exactly. Exactly. Which speaks to resilience and what I think the future of gentrification is going to be. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the new version of, of what you were saying about that beach where blacks weren't allowed to go to the other beach so then they created yeah, their own. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So those are... Yeah, if you have any history, if you see any photos, I say, like, you know, like, take this time to talk to, like, the people in your family. You know, mm-hmm. if you have the honor of having your grandparents, even your aunts and uncles, they know things. Yeah. They've experienced things. And just listening to them and capturing that is just, mm-hmm. like, really important. You'll never know what you'll uncover about yourself. And if anything, you'll just have more pride in who you are. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. <laughs> so beautiful. We talked a little bit about untold black women's stories. I'm curious if we just kind of like open up that scope a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your favorite, like lesser known or underrated black history moment? My favorite, a lesser known history, I think is the Haitian revolution. Mm. It's just so significant to history. They're the first black republic they're the first they're the only successful slave revolt mm-hmm. i believe they're also the second free independent state in the americas at the time and the first modern nation to be governed by african descent. so and then just the whole story of how it all came about it's, it's really long but i feel like that is a very integral part of our history that unfortunately due to like current states of like Haiti people focus on poverty obviously Mm -hmm. some tragic natural disasters have happened but I would challenge people like when you think of Haiti like understand that they successfully not only abolished slavery but like got rid of colonizers I don't think people really wrap their head around it I think people really focus on like 
just other things about Haitian history that are not, I mean, current day, that's like not the best and not the most important. But I mean, Haiti, Layla, Layla like kicked the French's ass. Like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And they really change things for the better for themselves. And I think that, you know, a lot of people I can imagine during that time wanted to do those things. Yeah. But luckily, because they were an island and, you know, they had the most brutal slavery, like sugarcane Caribbean mm-hmm. um, islands had the worst state of slavery. Like it was so bad that there wasn't any, any like reproduction. Like it was just like, they were just bringing in more slaves. Like wow. there weren't any like children being born in terms of slaves, wow. you know? So just thinking about the hard state that they were in and then they were able to you know revolt successfully and then also govern themselves is just i don't know i don't think people really wrap their head around it i don't know if i'm doing a good job of explaining the significance of it but i think that's one of the most like lesser known underrated parts of history that we should really hold on to and be proud of and understand i don't even think they talk about that in school i learned about it in college i learned about it like last year yeah from a haitian professor Mm -hmm. and that was what she studied so i think it was kind of very circumstantial for me to be like in a school that had this course by this haitian professional um but before that i knew nothing and i was just like wow you know because people always talk about like oh you know like why didn't slaves like revolt and they did Mm -hmm. but this is an example of like a very very successful one yeah um and so i think people should and also say why didn't they revolt as if it's eat like yeah like it was like standard tuesday i like, know exactly it's, so it's that's actually another... really hard to do exactly <laughs> it's really what? hard to do yeah it's really hard to do there's infrastructures there's things in place that keep you in fear that keep you in bondage and separate you from your families yeah. like is that worth the risk yeah. you know so i mean i think haiti was unique in that it's an island you know it wasn't like the whole united states mm-hmm. and then also because they were so greedy for slave labor they were like they didn't even realize they were outnumbered there were mm-hmm. more slaves on the island mm-hmm. than any other group so those are the two factors that really allow them to have a successful revolt versus you know people who were like in america yeah i know it yeah oh such an important piece of history to understand yeah definitely yeah. oh so good yeah if there's any if there's any takeaway from this episode it is that pulling off a slave revolt is not an easy thing to do it is not at it's all. not it's not at not all, at all. not something that i would want to be tasked with Mm-mm. Mm-mm. grateful to have been born when i was because exactly. i wouldn't have made it <laughs> so toya let's talk a little bit more about you oh, like let's me? get yeah okay. yeah let's like talk a little bit more about you so the show balanced black girl is really all about how we can take care of ourselves as black women and i like to think of self-care finding balance as preserving our legacy as making sure we're still here to contribute to black history in the future and so i would love to learn a little bit more about how you take care of you so what does self-care look like for you Hmm. i mean i think self-care looks very much like therapy like going to therapy working out not so much for the physical changes but i feel like mentally like my endorphins can kind of like help me relax but then i think also just like handling my stuff makes me feel balanced like you know like dealing with my student loans you know Mm -hmm. like going to the dentist (laughs) like those type of things can make me feel 
balance and like I'm doing the things that I need to do to maintain myself economically, you know, hygienically, and just also going back to kind of what we're talking about in terms of like what our generation offers historically, I think also just like for me, balance is also just kind of like embracing the different facets of like who Toya is, you know, like sometimes I'm having a really bad day and some days I'm having a great day and sometimes I want to write history and sometimes I want to go out with my girls and twerk. So just kind of like embracing all those things and embracing that sometimes I'm not balanced and like that's mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. as long as I keep trying. So I think that's kind of just like being nice to myself, yeah. you know, and others too, you mm-hmm. know, being empathetic mm-hmm. and trying not to take things too personal. Oh my gosh. You know, taking things personally, learning how to not take things personally, I feel like has been one of the greatest gifts adulthood has given me. Yeah. I mean, I'm, it's still a lesson I'm learning every yes. day. Yes. It's really hard, but yeah, I think that's a major key for me being like, this is not about you. Yeah. And not picking up more burdens than we need to. Mm-hmm. We have enough of our own that we don't need to. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. That's, that's the main thing. That's a good one. No, I love that. I love that self-care as really just taking care of your business mm-hmm. and extending grace to yourself and others. Yeah. That's so good. Thank you. Yeah. So along those same lines, what does being a balanced black girl mean to you? I think I just said it kind of, um, being balanced is kind of accepting that I may not be balanced all the time. Mm -hmm. And you know, like when you juggle, sometimes things fall and as long as you pick it back up, it's fine. And then also just kind of being balanced is kind of embracing the different parts of me, Yeah, you know, like sometimes it's pretty, sometimes it's ugly, you know, and that's fine. It's all a part of the human experience. Mm -hmm. I can't think of a better way to wrap up a black history episode than (laughs) The human experience and talking about the human experience. Yes, thanks. Yeah, that was a good little tagline. You know, (laughs) just I like to just bring it on home. So, Toya, how can our audience keep in touch with you? How can you guys keep in touch with me? Okay, so I would say you can on all my social media handles. It's just Toya from Harlem. No fancy things or underscore. So yay, you know. And yeah, I mean, anyway, you can find me on social media. I also have a YouTube channel and I have a newsletter, and that's really just a place where you can like uncover historical places you pass by every day dope art by people of color places to check out and cultural things to do and also for black history month i'll be releasing black history mugs so yeah we'll have all of that linked in the show notes exactly yes Yes. thank you so much for joining us thank you for having me i really appreciate it oh my god so fun Thank you for tuning into this episode of Balanced Black Girl Podcast. I hope this conversation helped inspire you on your own personal self-care and well-being journey. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss future episodes and head to balanceblackgirl.com for show notes and more information. If you'd like more support finding your balance, join our private membership community for self-care tools, exclusive content, and more. Visit balancedblackgirl.com slash community for more information. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to share it with a friend. Thanks so much for tuning in.